Hi, this is Kane Hodder, Victor Crowley, Jason from Friday the 13th. You're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. And that would make me terrible, Troy. And here for Slasher Month, we are joined by Nathan Basil, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's very cool to have you here. Yeah, welcome. Woohoo! All right, <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah. So, I watched your movie again. I've seen it, you know, uh, previously, but I noticed this time it says introducing Nathan Basil. So, yeah, was this that was my first film. Yeah, so how did you get involved, you know, especially the lead for your first movie? Um, I don't know why they cast me. Um, <laughs> you know, commercially speaking, it probably wasn't the brightest move on their part. Um, I'm sure if they got somebody who was really big and large and your, your, your typical kind of slasher look, uh, it would have been uh, uh, probably more profitable and uh, certainly uh, made better sense. But, um, as it was, they, they liked the take that I was doing on the character. And, um, and I think it's given the film some, some more longevity than it might've had, had, had they gone the straight up, uh, slasher, you know, figure. Um, yeah, I, I auditioned for it. Uh, it was, it was a great script. Uh, one of the few great scripts that, came across my desk that I just thought, wow, this is clean. I mean, I don't, I don't have any criticism of it. There's no loose ends that don't get tied up. There's no fat to trim. It's just, it's just uh, really 
well thought out and uh, the character, it feels like I've got tons of room to kind of do my thing with it. Um, so that's what I did. I took my thing into the audition room and um, and uh, I think it was, it, it forced them to see the, the, the script in a different way and, and to approach some things in a, in a different way. But um, they ultimately liked what I was doing and were excited by what I was doing, or at least uh, it was, uh, you know, pr- provocative in a good way uh, to them. And um, so, so they went with it and I'm grateful that they did because I didn't have anything to back up their choice other than I'd done some, you know, TV stuff uh, up to that point, but no film. And uh, they really took a gamble on me. And like I said, I'm, I'm grateful they did. Well, not just because you're here, but I think you, you're you're great in the movie, and it was, I can't really picture you know someone else in the role. So uh, I know you can't say that about yourself. So oh, maybe you can say it myself. I, I just did. <laughs> right. No, no, no. I, what, what I meant was, you know, the the, the script read as um, you know the, the a slash of character. It, it read like if you took the mask off of Mike Myers or Jason Voorhees, this is the dude who's underneath. Um, without all of the, uh, damage, you know, and, um, and that makes, I think, sense to, uh, to the way you read the script, it would make sense to an audience. Um, it, it would make a whole lot of sense, but I, the part that didn't make sense about it to me was if, if it's basically the same dude mass on or off, um, then we're not really getting as um, interesting a movie as could be if the character without the mask was somebody who isn't just uh, uh, frightening and threatening and, uh, you know, menacing and all of those things, but is also interesting and funny maybe and relatable even um it it felt like if there was a way to check off both boxes where you could have the threat and menace and all that stuff which is in the script it's there it's not going anywhere but if you could also draw the audience in and have the character be as relatable as possible for the audience well then you have the possibility of indicting the audience once they've come to maybe develop a relationship maybe even like the guy well you know once he puts the mask on and starts doing what he's doing um you're you're forcing the audience to um question themselves you're forcing the audience to challenge themselves you're forcing the audience to uh, into some really uncomfortable places that uh that you wouldn't be able to get away with if the audience was able to write the guy off at the very beginning as oh he's just evil mm-hmm. which that's a you know a really big uh, question there, not even just in slasher movies, but uh, you lately there's really rise of interest in like uh, serial killers, which I think has always been there, but it seems really mm. prevalent lately. And uh, you know, it does ask a lot of questions, like what it's you know you can't deny certain people are charismatic or interesting, but you know at the same time they are killers, and and why are we drawn to that? Yeah, if if the audience is forced to. Um, to really confront their sense of 
I, I like this guy, but he's doing really, really horrible stuff. And I can't reconcile that. Um, then you kind of have a little bit of the effect that you have in Silence of the Lambs where you're drawn into a character and you're fascinated by a character, but this character does quote unquote evil things. I can't immediately easily write him off as quote unquote evil. However, I feel like that is far more provocative for an audience than if somebody is bad from the first page to the last and, um, all that we're doing is watching their badness, you know, play out. So was that something that was changed then for the script once you once you came in an audition? Was that you, you know, your performance and the and the audition like added more of that to the script? You know, the script never changed, but there were um, there were definite qualities of it that read as um, well. I, I, I'll put it like this. <laughs> Uh, you know, in, in, in some of the more key dramatic scenes with Leslie Vernon with the mask off, um, you know, there's there's uh, some dramatic moments. And um, I'm, I'm sitting on the other side of the audition room and I'm listening through walls that are paper thin to these guys who are going in and auditioning before me. Um, you know, the waiting room is one of the worst areas, especially when you can actually hear what's happening on the other side of the room. And sometimes some of the choices that you make as an actor, you're making simply to spite the choices that were made from the actors before <laughs> you that you could hear on the other side of the wall. You know, you're like, well, I'm not going that route, you know, with all oh, the choices that you did, I, I'm, I'm going the other way, you know, cause uh, I just, no. so you're listening to these guys and you know, they're making all of the, typical choices you know they're making the choices of the mustache twisting villain you know he's he's bad he's bad to the bone and don't fuck with this guy you know and there's i, I think for a lot of men too um there's this idea that um bad you know or um violence uh, you know violent people um maybe even especially you know characters who we like and relate to who do you know bad quote unquote or or violent stuff you know well they're um they're just so fucking macho you know they're so impregnable you know and i find zero of interest in impregnability i find zero interest in characters who never change you, you can't alter them you can't affect them they're you can't impact them. And so why should I care? You know, they don't care. So why should I care is kind of where I automatically go. Um, and I just, my take was you care about this guy because he cares so fucking much. He loves what he does. And so he celebrates it. Uh, he doesn't find that it's anything to, um, you know, uh, hold over anybody's head, like, like a, like a hammer, you know, like a threat. He, he celebrates his love of the craft. He celebrates his love of the people who've gone before him, who've laid the way for him. Um, and he celebrates his rise to, to, you know, to the pantheon. Um, I felt like that was 
a sexy way to go. I felt like that was an interesting way to go. And, and frankly, if I was watching the movie that the guys who are auditioning before me would have done, um, I think I would have tuned out pretty early on. No, um, did you know any of the, the people, you know, the, the writers or directors at all beforehand, or did you just, you know, read the script and, and just go in kind of blindly for the audition? Yeah, I, I tend to not do the kind of research that I should do. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I go in, it's terrible. Um, I should care about this shit a lot more, but, um, <laughs> but no, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a thing. All I knew was this script rocked. It, it just kicked ass on a number of different levels it felt like basically because the script was so strong the the heavy lifting was done for me all i had to do was show up and not screw it up and um and uh, fortunately the group that i was auditioning for and the people that i was coming into contact with through them um they were all kind of coming from the same place of like uh, you know the, the foundation is there let's just you know, fill it up. And, uh, yeah, that's what we did. Yeah. Now, when I was looking so up, uh, looking some stuff up about you, I noticed that you, uh, weren't like a horror movie fan before the movie. So oh, do you no, think horror movies scare me? <laughs> do you think that I'm actually helped? Cat. Yeah. Do you think that actually helped though? Like not knowing a lot about like slashers. Cause then you did play the, the role differently as opposed to like, if you were like really versed on slashers, you might like, well, I'm in a place like, uh, you know, a slasher from another movie. Yeah. You know, that's totally, that's totally possible. I never thought of that before, but, um, my, my, um, uh, you know, research for the movie, I tried to, you know, go to the video store that we hit, we still had blockbusters at the time, you know? So I went to the blockbuster and I started picking up all the classics and whatnot. And, I, I think I got around to watching, I'd, I'd seen uh, the first two Nightmare on Elm Street movies um, when I was a kid, <clears throat> and they freaked the crap out of me, and so I um, uh, didn't watch any of the others, and, and uh, for research for Behind the Mask, I think I got in, um, uh, oh gosh, Friday the 13th, I, I, I watched Halloween for the first time last year. That's oh, really? how, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a scaredy cat. Okay. But, uh-huh. um, but, uh, I realized pretty early on into my quote unquote research that, um, mask off, uh, I'm talking about stuff that has already been very thoroughly been explained in the script. And there's not really any kind of improvising that is necessary <laughs> me to do in order to um you know kind of relate that um to the audience uh, so uh you know being familiar with all of the 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 genre uh peculiarities wasn't really necessary for the masked off work now where it would have served me tremendously is in the masked on stuff um because i remember the first night of shooting uh the the masked on scenes and i had an idea of what i was going to be doing with the character physically um and and i was doing all this stuff and then scott the director at at one point after a few takes he came over and he was like all this stuff that you're doing uh just don't um just stand there you know just stand there and uh we'll 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 get the rest in coverage you know 
And um, he was right. You know, I, I all, all of that uh, nonsense that I was kind of thinking that I was going to, uh, you know, do through all of the physicalizing that I was imagining for the character and the story that he'd created about how he comes across physically and all that all that stuff was just nonsense. You just, you stand there, you've got a, a blade, some kind of, you know, cutting implement, you got a mask and you've got a job to do. That's all it is. And, um, and you go and you get the job done. And, um, so I, I, you know, probably would have been better served by following the masters, uh, at, uh, at that point. But, you know, what are you going to do? Hindsight 2020. Yeah. So after like uh well doing the research and then afterwards say like you just saw Halloween and being in you know in a slasher movie has that changed uh, your perception of horror movies? Oh totally I, I you know I I was the best education opportunity I ever got uh, for for horror and and uh, the genre in general was um, Sven Gulli on um, MeTV oh. on Saturday nights. Um, uh, he, my my boys, I, I, I have two sons, and um, and we started making uh, a a regular thing of Saturday nights. They they do uh, super sci-fi Saturday nights on on MeTV, and it would be it would be the old school Star Trek. They did the uh, the um, '66 series Batman um, with Adam West. They they oh, did yeah. uh, Wonder Woman and Incredible Hulk episodes, and then you know at eleven o'clock, Sanguli would do his thing, or ten o'clock with with uh, a horror movie. And so we would catch a bunch of the classics and I am with my boys watching a lot of these movies for the very first time. And, you know, we had oh, a great awesome. host and an introduction. Oh my gosh. You know, what yeah. a great education um, and a, and a great um, kid friendly format for, yeah. you know, uh, watching those movies. Um, and obviously some edits have been done and you, you'd be doing yourself a service by going back and watching the, the movie itself uh but you know, know which ones and, to kind of weed out you know like you you know the great uh, yeah, universal you, you, ones and you're, then, you know. you're getting a good yeah you're getting a yeah. good butt shock view of yep. what of what the genre holds and you see what draws you and you see what doesn't and all that stuff you know and uh so my boys and i were were getting educated at the same time now, I, I also i i i would watch some of the other movies occasionally you know i i, I saw um you know, uh, exorcist years and years and decades ago. And, and that really, you know, screwed me up and, um, you know, and other movies too, but, um, yeah, generally it was something that I would kind of stay away from because, um, uh, it uh, really, um, horror movies when, it, when they're good, um, uh, horror movies really affect me. They really push my buttons, which is exactly, you know, what they're trying to do. Um, and uh, sometimes I'm just not, I'm not uh, ready to have my buttons pushed, you know. Sure. So what what were some of the like movies or TV shows that that made you interested to become an actor in the first place? Oh, hmm, hmm. I don't know. I gosh, everything. You know, I just like everything. I like all, I like all the genres. I like all. There's there's some in every genre that I dig. Um, TV shows, you know, growing up, I watched all the pop ones, you know, all the, uh, Stephen J, you know, canal, uh, one hour pop drama ones and, uh, and, uh, all the, 
you know, sitcoms and whatnot. Um, I don't have the greatest sense of humor, so um, sitcoms weren't really a good fit for me when I started doing acting. But um, but I enjoy comedic acting. I, I enjoy musicals. I love singing. Uh, I love dancing when I've had an occasion to do it. Um, I, I just, I, I dig everything, uh, a little bit of everything. And um, acting was, you know, a profession that, that gave me uh, an opportunity to dabble in a whole bunch of different kinds of, of, uh, of palettes and, um, and, uh, paint, do a whole bunch of different kinds of, uh, of paint paintings. And, uh, um, I've always appreciated that as somebody who's just generally curious about the world. You mentioned earlier about, you know, Leslie Vernon had, or any slasher has some type of, you know, uh, a cutting implement to, to kill someone. Now, obviously they're called slashers. <laughs> So uh, you had a scythe, which is a uh, very original. I don't think I can't really think of anyone else who had a scythe in a in a horror movie, and it's a cool. Yeah, weapon. that was the, I'm sure why no. Yeah, that was that, that was the point. How are you? How are you gonna? Uh, you know how how are you gonna present a character? Um, you know, in in their first movie as a as a slasher icon, you know, or a slasher icon wannabe. How how do you present uh, the the aesthetic that? um, is presented in, in those classic movies like Friday the 13th and Halloween. How do you, uh, you know, in, in the mask design in the, you know, the tools that he uses, you know, what, how do you do that? And, um, I got a really amazing behind the scenes 101 on how, how that's done. Mm-hmm. And uh, the mask itself, um, was that already created when you, when you got the role? No, we were uh, up in Portland already shooting, and um, the uh, um, the art director for that was working on uh, all the different designs. And I remember going in and taking a look at stuff. And they, I, I, I got a really um, great. Um, I, they, they Scott Glossman, the the director, um, he was really warm in welcoming me into. Uh, the creative process, uh, the behind the scenes part of the creative process. I, I think most projects tend to be, uh, you show up and you, you do your job and you go home. But, um, this was a real passion project and one that I was invited to be a, a player and how it gets presented, uh, and some, some of the decision-making process of that, which, was fascinating for me just as a student of life, but, um, but as a, a contributor for a movie that I think has done a really good job of standing the test of time, um, seeing how something classic could be conceptualized and then created was, um, pretty fascinating. And there were a number of different designs and the one that we went with was, something that was at least in terms of the mask, uh, kind of, uh, simple, but, uh, evocative. Uh, it has kind of an embryonic quality to it. You know, we tell a story of, of Leslie Vernon being, uh, a character who was created from, uh, uh, basically from childhood. He was, he was, uh, he emerged from, uh, childhood trauma and uh, so a mask that 
evoked that kind of childlike uh, embryonic quality was was a really good way to go mm-hmm. now like you mentioned you know it definitely has a following and uh why was there never a sequel oh we've tried dude yeah. <laughs> we've tried but you know we were it, it was it was a herculean task just to get the first one off the ground and um Scott was a, a huge part, if not the part, the instrumental part in um, getting the funding for the first go around. Well, when you're doing a movie that is a kind of the conventions of an origin story, you're you're dealing with a, a budget level that is modest. But when you're doing a sequel and you're exploding all of the the conventions of the sequel. Uh, then you're talking about, uh, you're, you're talking about more blood. You're talking about more bodies. You're talking about more locations. You're talking about more gear. You're talking about more people. You're talking about more explosions. You're talking about more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. And the budget is necessarily, um, you know, multiplied by two, if not three or more. Um, and so it's just a completely another level of fundraising that's required for it. And, um, we tried to, to, to do community efforts, kind of GoFundMe type, type approaches. Um, and we got near, but missed the mark, uh, on Kickstarter. So we weren't able to collect on that. We tried a, a, a fundraising thing, uh, transitioning all that stuff over to, um, to Facebook. Uh, we didn't hit the mark there. Um, we, 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 we've tried, but in order to really get a sequel off the ground, it's going to take really big bucks and that is going to require either a studio stepping in, um, or, uh, a really intensive fundraising campaign. And, uh, that's something that Scott would have to be. Um, again, if not the main player on, then uh, one of them, and uh, it is something that I, I, I just I don't know. I, I'm I'm sure that he doesn't have the bandwidth for that right now, um, and I I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, but we've nevertheless tried to keep the ball rolling anyway with uh, a comic book series that we did a limited series that um that uh, told the story the story of the sequel script because the sequel script was written and in the can uh, probably oh gosh 10 years ago so the the sequel script was written and it just felt like okay well let's 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 pick a medium where we can for you know relatively modest resources keep the ball rolling on a sequel uh, so that is a way for fans to check out what the sequel script would have been. Now, if we ever end up doing an actual film sequel, there would be a completely new script that would be required for that. Cause, um, you know, the, the trends change so quickly yeah. in the horror genres and, and slasher particularly that, um, uh, there would have to be an entirely new kind of commentary on that. Um, but you can still check out what would have been had we got that uh, that sequel script off the ground. 
Uh, speak kind of along those lines about like times have changed since the movie came out, or so you're going to do uh-huh. the sequel. Uh, 2006 when the movie came out, it's also when we started uh, Without Your Head, and you know that was just kind of the emphasis, the emphasis yeah, hey, so, of uh, of like uh, social media. So like mm-hmm. over the years, ha- have you seen like more of a uh, fan interest in the in in Leslie Vernon, like as like uh, Facebook and Twitter and stuff uh, came about? Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm I, I get hit hit up, you know, all the time <laughs> from people. It does it doesn't even I don't even you know question anymore when I'm getting friend requests from people that I have no idea who they are. <laughs> you know that 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 stopped long ago. Me vetting. Uh, who these friend requests were coming from. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's That's people how I who know me it. from the movie. Yeah. They, they see, they <laughs> see me in the, in the movie and they're like, this, this movie is awesome. Who are these people? You know, and they start doing a little Googling and, uh, and lo and behold, I get a friend request. So, um, yeah, that's how it happens. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me, but I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that the movie is still grabbing people's attention and still, uh, still delighting fans. Yeah. Did, did you, add, um, the way it's filmed, like a documentary, does that change like how you act at all? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. Like I said, this was my first movie, so I didn't have any kind of frame of reference for doing documentary style acting. And I didn't have any frame of reference for doing 35 millimeter acting. I didn't have any frame of reference or anything. So the whole thing was, was a learning project. And, uh, I found them to be completely dissimilar. Um, but, uh, and challenging in their own ways in completely unique ways. He said, you know, uh, there was script obviously, but since it's like documentary style, was there a lot of like ad libbing? Uh, a little bit, but you'd be surprised. I mean, the script uh, reads pretty much as is uh, as it came across um, in the film. Um, there wasn't really a whole lot of ad lib required. It already had a real uh, kind of ad libby type feel to it. Yeah. Um, so, so there wasn't a whole lot of of you know goosing that was required by me or or any of the other actors, though. Uh, there were a lot of really fun moments that that happened as a result of just you know listening to the other uh, actors and what they were doing and and responding to them you know just the stuff that comes up in the natural course of being creative with other creative people um, and a lot of that comes across in the film and gives kind of reinforces that that improvised feel to the script so that's that's what you're that's what you're getting uh but not a whole lot of improv was required in order to to give it that feeling mm-hmm. uh, what was scott wilson like you know playing your mentor in the movie great actor obviously oh my gosh uh i i probably am not gonna be able to talk too much about him because I, I just uh i adore him so much but um and i'm so grateful for him I, he 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 showed up on day one and just brought what he brought, which is so much fucking heart. And, and he had every right in the world. He was already an established actor. He's in just about every movie. 
Um, you look at his IMDb page and you're like, oh yeah, I, I remember him that. Oh, he's in that movie. Oh shit. Yeah. He's in that movie. You know, he's in every single movie. Um, and he had, you know, like, you know, like a, a bunch of the other established actors in the movie, you know, he'd earned the right to just show up and do his thing and take off. Um, but that's not what he was about. He was about not just showing up and, you know, checking in and then checking out again, he was about, uh, doing work and that the, the work of actors is being, uh, is listening and responding. That's all it is. And he was one of the most generous listeners you'd ever hope to work with. And his responsiveness to what he's picking up, um, was just there's so many jam moments of his in in the movie because he's just being you know he's just listening he's just responding um and that's what was happening off camera too um he his role as the mentor um was perfect because that's who he is and what he does he he showed up on set and immediately took me under his wing and started showing me what's what and, and, and more than, uh, being a mentor, uh, allowing for me to impact, you know, just caring, caring about me, caring about where I'm coming from, um, caring about what I have to say. And, and, um, you know, I, he was just so incredibly generous that, there is a real neat moment in the movie that that made the cut. And I, I'm really glad it does because it's not in the script. Um, it, and it was just, we're, we're, we're down by this river and we're t- throwing stones. <laughs> That's all it is. We're just tossing, skipping rocks. And, um, and that was just, you know, we, we, we say, hey, let's go, go, let's shoot uh, some, some, you know, B-roll stuff that we might reference, you know, throw in, uh, you know, we can go down here and, and, uh, you know, skip some, skip some rocks on the, on the water. So that's what we did. You know, we were just shooting the shit and, and skipping rocks. Um, and, and it was a really sweet moment that ended up making the cut. And I'm grateful that it did because it was one of the many moments that we had where, uh, just hanging out and just being together was of such delight to me and to him. Um, and our friendship feels like it's years long, uh, if, if not, you know, decades long. Um, and the reason why it feels like that is because of Scott, because of him showing up and, uh, and bringing his heart. Uh, Manuel Daddy here on Facebook wants to know, uh, was Robert England um, always who they wanted to play that role? No, Scott, I believe um, uh, Robert England was one of the people that the, the actors that um, Scott wanted from the very beginning. Uh, Scott uh, Glosserman, the director, and, um, and I believe they made an offer to him to play the role that Scott Wilson ended up playing, uh, of Eugene. Um, and for different reasons, Robert didn't really connect with that one as much as he connected with the, um, 
the uh, character that he ended up playing, Doc Halloran. Um, he really liked the idea of there being a kind of mindfuck quality to Robert England being in the film, playing the role of Donald Pleasance in Halloween. Um, <laughs> and wait a minute. So this isn't, uh, uh, you know, Robert England of, of, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, this is a different, he's playing a different kind of character, but this character is like the Donald Pleasant character in Halloween playing the same role of the, you know, character who's hunting down, try, chasing the, the uh, villain, you know, trying to stop them, trying to warn the town and trying to, you know, he really liked the idea of the mindfuck quality of that. Um, and plus, you know, he loved the idea and you see him playing it to the hilt of, uh, that character who's, he comes across as there's a little bit of menace at first, but then you, you, you there's a little bit of, you know, I don't trust this guy. I, I don't know. Exactly. But then you find out later on that, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's on your side. He's on the audience's side. You know, he's really trying to save these people, you know, um, you really like the journey that he was going to force an audience to go on by playing that role, uh, as opposed to the mentor role. And, and frankly, I think he was, he was right to, 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 to go for that one because, um, the way it worked out was, was awesome. Yeah. And plus, you know, um, Freddie is referenced in the movie because in this in this world, Freddie, you know, exists along with Jason and everybody. So to have a minute. Yeah. He, and put some, yeah, you know, he's not well aware of, yeah. He's well aware of the films that we're re referencing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street being a key one of those. So he's well aware of the fact that um, a character that he's played that he'll, you know, never be not thought of in association with. Um, he's bringing that those considerations into being in our movie just by being in our movie. On top of that, there's also the other uh, quality of the character that he's referencing through his character. Um, so there's just a, a few levels on which um, just by being cast in that role, uh, the audience is is getting some neat brain food, especially um, slasher fans. Uh, some I bring up a lot on the show for uh, horror comedies is I think for them to work, they have to work both as a comedy and a horror movie. Because if you mm -hmm. if it's only like comedy, I don't think it's that great. But uh, and I think uh, was that like something you guys thought of while you're making the movie? Like because the horror stuff is still like you know f like out of a legit horror movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this was probably the hardest thing for for um scott and, and the writer david stevie to to grapple with, with my audition because uh i played the character with the mask off straight up as he's just a dude he's just a dude who who loves what he does um and 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 celebrates what he does but he's not going to apologize for what he does and um and so um, he's inviting you along on, on, on his journey and, uh, you're welcome to be there as long as you just don't get in the way, you know, as long as those ground rules are accepted, you're in 
and he's going to show you everything. And he's delighted to show you everything. And he's fucking, he loves it. He loves what he does. He loves all the tricks. He loves showing them, uh, you know, he, he loves uh, revealing how much work, how much consideration and how much training is required to be really good at what he does. Um, and that kind of delight doesn't really come across as immediately in the script. Um, but I just took it and I just ran with it. And I, um, I think that it gave the, the, the comedy aspects of it a little bit of, uh, a Christopher guest movie kind of quality yes, to it, yeah. you know, like a waiting for yeah. Daphne spinal tappy kind of quality to it of well, he's just a dude, you know, he's just a dude that you would, you know, pass by on the street, you know, and, you know, just not kind of think twice about him. Um, and when you, uh, when he's, especially when he's talking about the specifics of what he does, it turns up the volume on the comedy because the absurdity of this guy who's not apologizing for, uh, the fact that he's celebrating, you know, tearing people to shreds, um, it, it, that's just an extremely absurd quality. And, and I found that the more real you could make the guy, the more dude next door you could make the guy, uh, the more you're turning up the volume on the absurdity. And, and I thought that was just a really neat uh, idea to play with. Um, but it's, I think one that was, uh, became more, it became challenging for, for Scott and David because uh, they had a more kind of uh, not dark comedy, but um, reserved quality to um to how they were originally seeing things um now that said i think that what a lot of people respond to is the is the comedy aspects of it maybe even more than they respond to the the slasher aspects of behind the mask um but then there's also people that respond to that that would like to like horror movies more, but just like me are really, really super scaredy cats and require that humor part of it to um, be their gateway into the, the heavier parts of it. So, you know, I think it kind of works both ways a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of saying, I think, uh, I think, uh, both benefit from, uh, for, from both aspects. Like I I think the, like you said, the absurdity of the humor is uh, is up is up from the seriousness of some of the the kills and stuff. Yeah, although <laughs> uh, had they gone a more um, you know classic slasher route with with their casting for Leslie Vernon, um, you know a, a, a really massively tall, stocky built, you know mustache twisting evil dude, um, it probably would have been a much easier sell uh, commercially. And uh, probably would have made more money at a box office. I don't know that it would have had the longevity that it's had, but um, I think it probably would have been easier to understand, easier to explain, and easier to sell movie for um, for at least the marketing department. Well, don't talk yourself out of being in the sequel. <laughs> uh, they're, they're welcome to try to replace me. Good luck. So I... Uh... I understand you do conventions and stuff. Uh, do you have anything coming up? 
Oh, I sure do. I'm doing Wicked Weekend at Connecticut, uh, first weekend of December. Uh, I'm doing Astronomicon uh, in February. Um, and uh, it looks like I'm going to be doing another one in September, too. Um, but we'll Yeah. Yeah, I think that one's well. In any case, yeah, I I got some uh, some ones coming up and uh, and uh, yeah. So if, if people are in the uh, uh, Connecticut or uh, I think it's in Michigan is uh, Astronomicon, okay. uh, then uh, come on out. I'd, I'd I'd love to to see and shake hands. Yeah, Troy and I are close. We're in Massachusetts. Yeah, we might make Ooh. the Connecticut scene then. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just committed yourself to it. I, I don't know. know if you know you did, but I think you just did. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, it'll be a good time. So, yeah, what, what did you like think? Fun. What did you think the first time you saw someone like cosplay? You're dressed as Leslie Vernon. Oh come on, man! It's awesome. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess what would you no. answer, man? That was horrible. You know, why did someone do that? Yeah. Are you kidding? Take that off. <laughs> Where do you get off, you? No, um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. I, I get, I get, uh, you know, photos all the time of, of people who've, uh, you know, not just bought the gear off the rack, but, uh, I don't even know if you can buy the gear off the rack, but, uh, have, have made their own from home, you know, homemade masks and everything. And, uh, it's really awesome to see. It's such a creative community. I'm sure you found this too. It's such a creative community. Um, and, I just really dig that people uh, have have so much love and affection that they're willing to put their time and attention into, <laughs> uh, you know, making their own homemade mask or, uh, you know, dirtying up their thermals or, you know, whatever it is. Um, uh, it, it's, it never continues to entertain me and delight me. So, um, I mean, it never, never ceases to do that. that I said that wrong. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, well, I I got what you meant, but yeah. But uh, you mentioned you know on Facebook and stuff. Uh, so you still have slots if people want to follow you on uh, on social media. Yeah, Facebook. Generally, I'll let anybody through that's not a nutcase or or uh, or, or a, a Trump fan. Um, I'll pretty much you know friend anybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but I swear to God, if I get one Trump tweet, I'm dumping you. That's just right off the bat. I'll 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 put it out there. But um, but uh, uh, Instagram, I'm a little more uh, selective. Pe- people are welcome to to friend me on that. But uh, who I'll friend back is I, I, I'm trying to have some you know some standards and uh if if i don't know you chances are i won't friend you back but uh but but we'll see and um people are you know always uh always welcome to to reach out to me i i appreciate fans uh behind the mask and my other stuff and uh and i'm always happy to hear from them well i hope you got do you have stuff in the works like uh movie wise or or anything no, you know, I, I stepped away from acting about 10 years ago and, um, uh, I did teaching and that was incredibly rewarding. I closed my studio, um, earlier this year. Um, and, uh, I'm gonna get back into acting. Yeah. This oh, is, good. I'm making, a, I'm, I'm making a, I'm making a, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, Oh, headline i'm yeah I'm, I'm making a headline i'm, I'm going back to acting <laughs> All right, cool. um 
yeah, I'm getting my ducks in a row and I'm going to get back into acting. Uh, and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think I've got a lot more to offer now than I did, uh, 10 years ago. And, um, looking forward to seeing how I can use that to contribute to people's projects. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, uh, very nice. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm also terrified, which is how I know that I'm doing the right thing. I think if there isn't a little bit of terror uh, accompanying uh, your 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 choices, then you're not choosing the right directions. But um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully, I'll have stuff to announce. uh, You know, in the early part of the year. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been good to talk with you. Good talking to you guys. Uh, Take care, and thanks again for reaching out. Yeah, definitely. All right. We'll keep in touch. All right. Take it easy, guys. Right. Thank you much. Hi, this is Greg Lamberson, and you are listening to Without Your Head. And I have a long history of film without heads. We have no head in Slime City. We have no head in Killer Rack. And we have no head in Johnny Gruesome's. Check out all those headless Welcome films. back to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still Nasty Neal. And I remain terrible, Troy. And on the line with us from not another monster movie, we have the director, Tyler Chayman. Hi, guys. <laughs> Welcome. And Rick Lovegood himself, Mark. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Mark uh, Bogomol. Bogomol, there we go. <laughs> he introduced himself. Very good. So it's good to have you guys both here. Not another monster movie. For people who don't know, what is not another monster movie? Oh, God. All right. It is our independent film. It is basically about 
a struggling production crew making a horror film. And it just so happens when their production gets shut down, the director tries to convince the casting crew that they are going to complete the film without the studio's funding, causing them to have to not only shoot outside in other locations, but to recollect all of the props that are similar to their character's use, including what turned out to be an actual cursed book. So <laughs> cursed book summons real monsters and the actor in the film thinks everything around him is part of the movie being made. The director does not believe in letting his crew know that all of these things are actual monsters because <laughs> they're doing a damn good job of, uh, of, Oh, I can't say that. Can I, excuse me. <laughs> they're doing a darn good job of uh, yeah, no, scaring the crap out of my, uh, my castmates. You're free to say anything you like on the show. Oh, perfect. Oh, okay. I told <laughs> me differently. They're always safe. Yeah, it's all oh. good. Yeah. yeah. So where did this idea come from, Tyler? So it was just a lot of, I would say, random ideas coming together. Um, I used to drive around with my grandmother a couple of years ago, and I would always just pitch just outrageous film ideas to her in the car. And this one stuck for some reason. She goes, no, like this sounds like a really good idea. Like You have to do this comedy. And she ended up passing about two years ago. So I knew she really liked this idea, so I committed to it and finished writing the script and then said, okay, we're going to go through, get all the production equipment we, that we need, and then we're going to shoot the film, and that's what we did. But a lot of inspiration comes from like the movie like Bowfinger and uh, the early Gene Wilder movies like um, Young Frankenstein and a couple of his other ones. Yeah. Well, I was sorry to hear about your grandmother. Oh, thank you. Uh, Roy and I's grandmother passed away uh, last year. I'm sorry to hear. So, uh, was she influential? Just the, you and you know, wanted to make movies? Um, a little bit of both. I this is the fifth film that I've directed, but my other productions were more of just like action and horror flicks. This was my first, I would say, transfer into comedy, and it seems that this seems to be my main channel and to go to is just to continue writing comedy. Now, Mark, um, were you friends with Tyler? Like, how did you get involved? Oh, he sent me a script uh, about <laughs> a year and a half ago. And after reading this thing, I was just cracking up the entire time. There were so many scenes in there that just seemed like dead ringers for the kind of hokey comedy that, you know, a lot of us enjoy. So um, after reading the script uh, and him approaching me about it, I told him that I was straight up in. And it all began from there. And um, previously, we worked together, and we met back in summer of 2014 <laughs> on another production set that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, that I was a hired didn't. camera guy for, and he was one of the main actors. And I always like kept him in the, like the back of my mind for actors and stuff. And then just turns out down the road, um, one of the other main actors, Brad Spiata, who plays the character Mark, the PA in on another monster movie, um, he was he's been along since like the early combination of this film. And we had so much trouble just like finding the lead actor to be like Rick Lovegood and stuff. I'm like, you know what, let's go with Mark and stuff. I'm like, I think he'd be perfect for it. And then I gave Mark the script. He read it a couple scenes and stuff. And I said, perfect. You, he's got the character down. It's, this is who we have to cast for it. It's a great name to Rick Lovegood. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what we did was we named everyone with the first name and I just, I came up with like the last names like during filming, just the thing of like what like egotistical the characters could be. 
after yeah, seeing the way they portrayed him on screen. <laughs> yeah, I kind of get cast as a fuckboy and a villain. That's kind of like my, my thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's uh, generally what I get cast as. So uh, this time around, I play the cocky director who uh, actually has absolutely no thought of safety for his cast and crew. And he just <laughs> wants his movie to succeed no matter what, no matter what he has to put anybody through. And that's where a lot of the comedy ends up coming from. Yeah. I've, I see a lot of people in the movie that I've met at uh, Buffalo Dreams. <laughs> fantastic. Film. Oh, you were over yes. there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you guys located? Uh, I'm located in Buffalo, New York. And I'm about 20 minutes south of him in Hamburg, New York. All right. So you said you work together on other projects. So yes. is there like a is there like a film community there of guys who you know and girls who make um who make independent films? Absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There is a huge community here. I feel that um, Buffalo has an incredible film community. It's very tight knit, but not. Uh, so tight knit that there's not always people that you're meeting that are new, new actors, new cameramen, new sound guys. And a lot of the uh, actual feature films are coming into uh, to the Buffalo and Western New York area. For example, there is a lot of lifetime films that are coming in. That's interesting. I know I've met, I've seen uh, Greg um, Lamberson mention that he's worked on some lifetime films. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Those he's are always fun. Those are always fun. You know, I have makeup and hair checks before and after every scene. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a trip working on those sets, but I very much enjoy it. That's what I like about that festival, though. You can definitely feel the the community aspect. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people that, that go there every year and everyone's very supportive. They are. They're very supportive. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no real bad eggs in the crowd. I have to say everybody is very supportive of each other. And I do appreciate that a lot. I mean, not to say that it's not competitive because it is, but it's a friendly kind of competition that urges you to be better. Not the kind where you stomp other people down. Yeah. Now, Tyler, I see that you finished uh, filming the movie like a year ago, I guess. You know, the um, we had pickups basically. Well, originally we we wrapped principal photography, and the downside is like I I know I sent you in the movie to to check out. Then um, I would say like ninety percent of the film takes place at nighttime, which we originally scheduled for ten production days, and we got rained out of three of them, <laughs> which it was complete downpour. And Mark knew like my I was pulling my hair out just how just irritated I was with the weather and stuff. And then we're like, okay, well the only way we could really match this weather in Buffalo in October is to shoot all the pickups in April. Mm -hmm. And turns out we ended up getting a, an actual school rented out that we got the permit for and everything. And it's just added so much to the film and stuff. Like everything I would say about a third of the way into the film and stuff. We, we had Kenmore middle rented out and that was just by complete luck. So all those scenes and stuff originally were not in the script that Kenmore, we added in. Kenmore Middle is a huge, huge middle school with a giant auditorium and uh, elevators and plenty of rooms. And it gave us a lot to work with. It did. But so, especially so in a way, would, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's way would, I was just saying, in a way, would that be like a, a fortunate, uh, you know, uh, setback. Like, yeah, first of all, you think, oh, this sucks, but then in a way it works out for you. I feel like that happens like that a lot in film. You know, you, you're like, oh, darn, this, this happened. We have to postpone filming, but then something happens and you get a new crew working on it. They give you new ideas. And as long as you're adaptable 
I mean, to an extent, it's more of a boom than a curse. So, um, Mark, what what made you decide, like, you know, I, I want to become an actor and so, you know, start uh, filming, uh, you know, with uh, some people in Buffalo? Well, I mean, it was actually all a surprise. About 10 years ago, I threw a birthday party for a woman who happened to be a photographer who brought her camera. She took a ton of photos and she posted them on a modeling website called Model Mayhem. And without my consent, I became a model. I'm, she said, congratulations, you've got accepted. And I'm like, uh, oh, OK. Uh, all right. And I'm like, you did this without telling me? She's like, yeah. And I'm like. I'm cool with it. <laughs> What's up? So uh, two years of that go by, just small time gigs. And I decided to, you know, burgeon into theater because people are telling me my headshots. And yeah, so I went into theater for a while and uh, I won an Artie Award in 2016 for my rendition of Dr. Goiter and Judgment at Nuremberg. And from that point, I kind of got sick of theater and I decided to go into film and I've been at full bore ever since. So you just, you really didn't have, did you have like any, like, was that anything you'd ever thought you'd uh, pursue before the whole modeling thing you accidentally came up? You know, yeah, performance has always been something that I've enjoyed, whether it's, you know, vocal stuff or, you know, doing music, but I guess in my heart, I've always wanted to be on the screen and uh, having the premiere of Not Another Monster movie, which would be my full feature length premiere about three weeks ago where I'm the uh, the lead of the film, where it was sold out. It was awesome. It was, was quite it was quite an accomplishment. That felt very good. And it just yeah, motiv- it's motivated great. me further. Yeah. So what was that experience like for you, Tyler? Uh Going into it, you know, he's going to be well, in big screen with people you know, people maybe and, don't know. In one moment, it was sheer panic <laughs> of when Mark's computer fell asleep that we had hooked up to the projector <laughs> <laughs> during the funniest moment of the film. Which, um, trying to think what oh, it was, um, since you've seen it, it was the moment where they're trying to figure out like how to make noise to distract the monsters so Mark's character can get away. And Paul McGinnis, which I know you met at um, Buffalo Dreams, and he's in a handful of big films. And he, he wrote Killer Rack, which was one of Greg Lamberson's huge, successful projects. Yeah. Um, they were exchanging lines back and forth, and it was my favorite scene of the film. Then all of a sudden, the screen goes black. And I just ran over, just hit the, the space bar, and the screen turned back on. I was like, oh, God, oh, we had okay. <laughs> 90 people watching this. And it just went black for half a second. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, what was like the overarching thing after after the fact, though, Ty? Like, how did you feel having accomplished that? It still hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, was, uh, first, it was was that nice, the first time you watched it with an audience? With an audience, yeah. Um, Mark and his other co-star Dean Paleo. Um, I want to congratulate him. He was just elected town judge in Elma, New York. Town Justice oh, of Elma. Town New Justice. York. Yep. Um, he played um, one of the other officers that I was posing to Paul, Officer Steve. And he came over, and then we had our other friend, Renee, who's in the post credit. She came over, too. And we watched the rough cut of the film, and it was, it was just rough. The, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the version that they saw didn't really have the music score all set. There was no music, and um, the, the sound levels were very different from scene to scene. 
he hadn't yeah. cut that part together yet. So I was worried when I went to the premiere, to be honest. So for three months, I worked on the sound and nobody else saw any of the, the cut up until then. And so I got to the theater, I plugged in the external drive into Mark's laptop, which was plugged into the projector. And I said, okay, here we go. So a lot of it was like having to redo audio is a nightmare. I have absolute respect for any person who works in audio and remastering and everything yeah. like that. Cause it was a nightmare. It took, I is not an audio guy. In, in any no, sense it, of it took two months of me staying up every night, just balancing the levels and making sure everything was coming across the best that it could. And luckily and stuff, the, the crowd loved it, that we had a huge response to all the comedic scenes. It, it meant a lot. It was amazing. Oh, my God. This, the, yeah. crowd, the crowd reaction, just they, everybody was dying. It was so much laughter constantly. I mean, I was, I was happy with it because once you work on a production, you see it over and over again. The gags don't get – they're not funny anymore. And you don't know what's going to make be a zinger and what's not. Oh, yeah. So, Everyone uh, was losing it over the, the fake bat scene. <laughs> Everyone per- just kept particularly corny bit of cinema with a with a fake bat that gets uh, annihilated over and over again. Yep. Yeah. So did did you do all your own editing? Yes. What's that um, experience like? Because I would assume it's hard to sometimes to edit your own stuff because like you you have like a memory of when you filmed it. Oh yeah. Um. The the hard part was is we shot this on a black magic cinema camera and we shot it in 2.5 K. And when you shoot in that raw file, it's just every time you go to upload it, like to edit, you don't have little thumbnail pictures that it's all these individual file folders of the frame. So when you drop that into your editing program, you really don't know which file you're working with until you render the whole thing, which takes a good couple of hours. But we, um, we updated the program, went through again, redid the CGI and everything for a couple of the gunshots. And really, I was able to enhance the audio in the second editing program that we used. But it took, we were editing as we go, so it took about eight months of editing as we were filming. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't know if people are interested, but would, uh, what, th- what kind of programs do you use to edit? We used Adobe Premiere 2019. Yeah. Yeah, that's what and, I use myself for, for my little videos. Never, oh, never yeah. made a movie. And then before then, we used, I had Adobe Premiere 2015 that I just kept running without updating it. And then that crashed. And I was like, okay, so I got to re edit the whole film in oh, Premiere wow. 2015. There were some technical snags, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, Mark's super smart with computers. He actually took mine apart and upgraded the, the graphics card and the processor and everything. It really made a difference. I grew up with them, so it's kind of just second nature to me at this point. It's just plugging something into a slot, after all. It's really not that difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how about the score itself? Like, um, Who did you find to do that? Oh, that was Sabrina Pina Young. She actually had a couple of her shorts at Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. Her most known one was Spiritus, the animated film. Okay. And she's another local director and composer. And we had a lot of cameos throughout the the film of people that I know one of the cameos that's in the extended cut that's going to be on the Blu-ray release. Um, we had Sam Qualiana in for the opener scene. But throughout that, we also had Sabrina Young as Zombie Clown. We had Mick O'Keefe as Hobo Drac. <laughs> Both of these roles were actually absolutely hilarious. They really got their parts. 
Very we were going to have John Renna, but it was availability issue is what we like to think. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I was actually waiting for John Renna to pop up. Oh God, I'll tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We uh we planned that? it like it was it was funny. It was outside Buffalo Dreams. He was like, Ty, just bring your camera, we'll just do a quick insert shot. I'm like, I'm done editing the film, John. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it well, was I, a lot of fun. I, yeah, I was gonna say I filmed the cameo for Zeb Godin's uh a movie <laughs> oh, yeah. during Buffalo Fantastic Film Festival. Ze- yeah, Zeb wanted a cameo too, and I was like, Come on, guys, like Greg's gonna kill me if he knows I'm still filming this thing. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. but that yeah, we to see Nick. Oh yeah, we um we were originally going to submit to Buffalo Dreams, and the headache of it was so because the film freeway and everything like that, it takes time to upload and process before you could submit. We missed the deadline by three minutes. Oh wow! And it was one of those oh, things God. that I'm like, you know what, and stuff. I reached out to Greg, and I said I still just really want to learn from all the other local films and films coming in from out of the state and country and stuff. And he let me help out with the festival and drive around all the international directors and show them a good time around Buffalo and Niagara Falls. Well, but next year still, we have, you know, yes, and you got yeah. a lot of uh, exposure doing that. Just, you know, talking to all these people. Oh, definitely. It was so cool. It's uh, we had a guy coming from Tokyo who did not speak English and I had to find his hotel. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> he just volunteered for this gig, which is, you know, I guess that's actually very good exposure if you think about it. Oh, oh definitely, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember his. I remember the the gentleman's movie that, that you mentioned. I remember you know, meeting. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and then um yeah, we had Kristen Skeet there who directed Murder Creek. I, I love Kristen. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome, and um that was the cool thing. I was the DP on that production, and I was super happy with the the turnout for that. That it was one of the the sold out blocks, and then it was so sold out that Greg had to have a second screening of it, which was great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. That was a, it's a great festival. Have you? How long have you been going to the Buffalo Dreams? Um, I would say three years now, because that's when I started working with Greg. Um, he cast me as one of the student extras for Johnny Gruesome, mm. and it was awesome because they placed me a uh, city right behind Anthony Del Toro in the classroom scene, so I had a good amount of screen time, but. Just working with Greg and meeting him was great because that was the first day we ever met in person. Because in the film world, like you'll be friends with people online for years, and then you'll just finally meet them. <laughs> that's kind true. of thing. That's true, yeah. But Mark, ever ever since then, it's been awesome. Mark, do you go to Buffalo Dreams? Uh, yeah, I've been going for the past uh, three or four years now. You know, it's good to catch okay. up with what everybody's doing. Yeah. So you know, just being on set, Tyler. Uh, with Greg Lamberson, does that help you, you know, as a director, even if oh, you yes. know, you're just watching? Yes, it's fun because not only, like, could you tell, like, and learn the seriousness of Greg in films, but you could also find a sense of humor. <laughs> it, um, it, it was, like, so much fun to work with. And then even um, John Renna, like, he was one of the main crew for Johnny Gruesome. Um, we were about to do a, a giant classroom, not a classroom scene, a hallway scene that we would be walking behind Byron Brown Jr. And they told us where the framing was going to be and got everything set up to go as me and John run and a couple of the other students are around the corner waiting for them to yell extra so we could start moving. And I knew I was going to be in center frame. And John proceeds to hit me in the nuts just as they say <laughs> extras. So the first two takes, I'm just staggering out. And then we have a running joke 
that if anybody else can get John run it back, it's twenty dollars cash or it's forty if they get it on camera. Nice. So I told him I won't do it because I'm not that guy. So, <laughs> but like I said, we have fun with our our film community. We're all good friends still. It's we have a lot of plans together with John Rudd for the next production. Oh, what what's the next production? Uh, Mark, do you want to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> You could tell them the title and the the basis of it. I like it when you pitch it. All right, because yeah, it's my my strange pitching gets people involved. It does. It does. It really <laughs> does. It's um. It's called Little Green People. <laughs> it is the retelling of the 1947 Roswell incident, told from the point of view of the aliens as a comedy. <laughs> well, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a lot to, to wrap your mind around. It's, uh, it's definitely <laughs> out there, and I think that that's great. We're going to be doing this one episodically. Yeah, originally uh, I pitched it to Mark as a feature, and he goes, "He's like, no, you got, you can't do features, man. You're just like, come on, you could do short episodes, and they'll be great and stuff." I'm like, "Okay, I'll play around with the idea." Then I wrote eight episodes. I'm like, "Crap, I really like this now. I don't like it as a full feature anymore." <laughs> and um. John Renna is involved. He's going to be a director for a few of the episodes. I'm going yeah. to I'm going to be directing the pilot only, and then just to get it off the ground. And then Kristen Skeet's going to be directing one, and then Mark is going to be directing one, and then Mick O'Keefe. It's a really great oh, nice. chance to get different people in on it and get their different styles. Yeah, I expect something very bizarre with Mick O'Keefe directing. Oh, you're oh yes, absolutely. He Mick. um, oh. Mick is in the lead cast. Just so you know. <laughs> oh, no, no, very good. He um, he plays the alien that survives the crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. So the the gist of it is, um, the other alien crew. It's kind of like a ship that broke apart into two. The other alien crew gets sucked into a black hole and gets spit back out thirty years later. So they land in the 1980s looking for their friend that crashed 30 years ago. So, yeah, so Mark Bogomol, Brad Spiata is gonna be, are going to be the aliens coming down looking for Mick O'Keefe. Yeah, I like this. So, you know, episodes, where, where do you plan to put it? Is it going to be like on YouTube? Or? Um, we're going to shoot the pilot and have hopefully a Buffalo premiere towards April. And then the rest of the production is going to be shot in July. And stuff, mainly just for crowdfunding, budgeting, things like that. Yeah, but taking more of the film route and less the, the you know YouTube kind of star right. route. Yeah. yeah, we have a couple of connections and friends in Hulu and Adult Swim, so we're going to try to run it by them and just throw the pilot around as much as we can. Yeah. Do you know like how long each episode would be? Um, the first script is about twelve pages, so roughly that'll translate to about ten to fifteen minutes if we're lucky with credits. But you know they're gonna run over. <laughs> yeah, it usually stuff does in our production. <laughs> That's the thing too. Um, there's going like even with not another monster movie, there was seven scenes that didn't make the theatrical cut that will be in the extended cut. Which includes how much like, is, I'm sorry. I was sorry. Just how much longer is the extended cut? About I'd say twelve to fifteen minutes. Okay. And what were you saying it was including? Um, they would include like the scene with Sam Qualiana, Brenda Rickard, and she's a local actress. Like she was in recently in Traumas, Return to Newcomb High, Volume One and Two, as one of the main characters, Aunt B. Um, and then just a handful of other scenes with Mark as a uh, being possessed, I, uh, which he had a lot of fun with that character. Oh, that, that was act. That was a that was a blast. 
Like, you see, because I played this whole thing as the straight laced guy. I came into this playing this film that ended up being a very comedic as I'm absolutely 100% serious about my role. So my portion was all straight laced, you know, straight up acting and no goofy antics, really. So when the possessive scene comes around, I really got to let loose an entirely different character. And I latched onto that and went nuts. It was great. Yeah. It was funny because we couldn't decide because um, if you've seen a scene where they had to tie him up and everyone's like, well, how should we tie him up? And then everyone's just coming up with these really sick ideas. And then I'm like, guys, we, we got to keep the rating just normal. So. <laughs> so you decided Christmas lights would work. Yes. And then it was funny. <laughs> the first try, at least. We had our lead PA, Luke, over in the corner and stuff. I don't know if anyone will notice. But as Mark starts waking up, Luke is plugging the lights in and out to make them flicker. It's in the background there. Yep. Yeah. I never noticed that. Oh yeah, it was. It turned out really. I guess really you good. notice everything when you're editing. Yeah, and I see the film a good hundred and twenty times. <laughs> After you watch it that many times, uh, well, I don't know if you. I don't want to say you get sick of it, but uh, do do you really see it as a movie at that point, or? How do, little, you, how do you see it? Or is it just a jumble of, you know, scenes? It's a bit of both, because, um, like I said, the more enjoyable night I had was showing the rough cut to everybody here at my house. But I would say there's still a lot of moments that make me laugh, especially Paul McGinnis's scenes. Mm-hmm. That um, it was that was complete improv, too, of when Brad Spiata slaps him to calm him down. And stuff, and then uh, Dean Paleo asked if he could hit him too, and then Paul turns and goes, no, what did HR tell you? That was not in the script. And me and Kristen were behind the camera, biting our lip, just <laughs> trying to hold in laughing, but the cool thing too is um, we're having another screening on December 1st at the Screening Room Cafe at 7 o'clock, and we're actually going to be showing the blooper reel. So oh, very cool. They'll see how many times. I'll make sure I send it to you. But um, how many times the cast just lost it on that scene? Oh, yeah. that's great. That's good to be able to get you know, uh, you know, get local screenings for your movies. Oh, definitely. Yes, very much so. Yeah, we were uh, we were thinking of renting out. What was it? The Dipson tie? Yeah. Yeah, but um, I thought you know it's better to get a more intimate venue and sell it out than get something that seats like four or five hundred and have half of that and everybody's sitting far away from each other. Oh yeah, definitely. So that's so like December yeah. 1st. Yeah. yeah. I was just, uh, where, where was that? Uh, the sc- where's the, the screening December 1st? Yep. The screening room cafe. It's um, in North Tonawanda. Right. And then we are in talks to hopefully be screening in Philadelphia in April. For the greater Philly con. Oh, nice. So fingers crossed on that. We're just waiting to secure the date and the time. Yeah. Now had, had your previous movies played at any festivals? Um, no, this was actually going to be my first festival submission. I have other things that have played and stuff that I worked on crew for. Mm-hmm. But other than that, this was originally going to be my first submission. Well, that's going to be exciting. Oh, definitely. And how about yourself, Mark? Are any of your movies that you've been in uh, on the on the festival scene? Uh, currently, there have been a few. Uh, a lot of 
48 hour film festival pieces but a couple actually uh we have a i have a premiere coming out on the 6th with a smaller part called the the uh the smith and the devil which i can update you about when and uh, exactly when and where that is screening and i'm working on four different productions right now but uh currently none of the films that i have participated in are in the festival scene but watch out for next year all right good yeah so yeah um, i saw johnny mccobb also pop up in it who uh, who i knew from facebook for, for yes. a few years before <laughs> i met him in buffalo so uh, how did he get involved um basically we were trying to find someone who kind of had the characteristics like physically of shaggy from scooby-doo as as i was writing <laughs> dr stein and that's the thing like we we really don't have anybody else in the acting community like johnny and i kept playing around with the idea and how i cast is usually i'll have everybody meet up out for coffee and i'll just meet with them individually and stuff and just see how they do reading lines and johnny read a few and stuff and he's like what if i just play like an oblivious character and write a few things of the of the character and everything i'm like holy crap this is him and stuff and i'm like all right he's gonna be wearing this super long leather trench coat we're gonna get the sweet revolver for him and and so on like that so it just ended up working out that he became dr stein yeah well he definitely works in movie. and now that you mentioned i do see a uh scooby-doo like quality mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got the shaggy in him yeah. he definitely yes. has yeah yeah Except for he drinks a lot more in the movie. Yeah, yeah. It was so funny and stuff like that because um, I had the flask and I purposely put apple juice in it and stuff. <laughs> so when he drank from it the first time, he was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. But yeah, it was it was so funny. Well, that explains why he's drinking Fireball a lot because so it matches the color. Yes. <laughs> and also, yeah, when we shot that, that was like half water, half Coca-Cola. And stuff, and he drank it like he flat out drank it. And he's flat, like, I'm just gonna wing it, man. He's like, This is for the film. And then, um, Mark, if you want to tell him about the elbow drop that he did, oh man, we were filming this was shot in one not of in the session script. scenes, and uh, they have to the beat me up. Oh, you go. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go, Mark. Oh, sure. Well, we were filming one of the possession scenes where I escape again. It's a very comedic uh, kind of Three Stooges-esque thing. And I get out and I cling to Johnny's back and I am pried off with a crowbar and then hit. And when I'm on the ground, Johnny pulls this ridiculous like wrestling move where he elbow drops me like straight on the film. It was totally unplanned and it was on a concrete floor, man. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I know. Right. You know, he didn't tell us ahead of this at all of what he was going to do. (laughs) And me and Kristen were behind the camera. We just looked at each other like, what the hell? You heard the crack when it hit the ground (laughs) on a concrete basement floor. (laughs) Because when I'm when I'm behind the camera, all I see is what's in the frame. And he did that once. And I'm like, everything was in focus it's gonna stay in the film <laughs> i was and, happy to see you as a lifetime wrestling fan I, I i enjoyed seeing the elbow a nice people's elbow <laughs> oh yeah next time you're in buffalo we're gonna take you out to a couple of our shows that we go to oh, yeah. local all right yeah definitely i did, didn't know there was a local there's a, wrestling, there's a good wrestling scene around here actually yeah very cool yeah. For people who don't know, in addition to without your head I also uh, host in your head my wrestling podcast every oh week. nice Mm. Yeah. It's 2005, so 
Oh, perfect. Yeah. We have, um, ours is called ESW wrestling that, um, our, our co-star Dean that we're talking about too, he goes to a lot of these shows and stuff. So usually uh, he'll take me or Mark as his guest to him, which is a lot of fun. We have actually Sherry Lynn Litz is actually a, I don't know if you've heard that name before, but she's pretty popular in the Buffalo film scene. She actually performs up there. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Either of you guys ever uh, want to get into the wrestling? You know, I think that would be actually quite a blast. Yeah. <laughs> I am not flexible enough for it at all, so I'm going to have to pass on that. You could be a manager, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the one that just walks them up to the stage and be like, all right, I'm out. Yeah, just carry <laughs> carry their their stuff back, carry their jacket back. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Bring guy, I guess. Yeah, yeah Dean is bad. always uh, mentioning that he wants to be called like a libertarian, like the the scales of justice. Yes, <laughs> he came up with a bunch of move names. We'll just like pop it. out with the gavel and knock somebody out. <laughs> so, what when are the plans to release the Blu-ray? Um, hopefully we're aiming for springtime of this coming year. I would like to hopefully bring a whole bunch of them to the Philly con, mm-hmm. especially cause it's, it's technically going on tour if we get everything secured, but not only that, it's just, so, it's good exposure to get out of New York state to advertise any film, but yes, we're going to do, it's going to be self-distributed and then, yeah, we're just going to sell online and just reach out to as many people as possible for it and start up advertising should be cool um do you, do you know who's gonna do the the artwork do you have like the the cover art and everything done um not yet we did reach out to an artist for it and they are still working on it what, what kind of extras are on there i'm sorry to interrupt you there's this there's like a half a second delay so if i talk over anybody i don't mean to it's just oh it's okay um, no worries no worries me and mark and dean Cleo are going to be doing the commentary mm-hmm and then there's going to be a behind-the-scenes featurette, and as well as the blooper reel, and a sneak preview of Little Green People. Very cool. I'm a fan of commentary tracks. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. It seems like they uh, people are getting away from them, but uh, that's a big uh, selling point to me on a Blu-ray, is if there's a commentary track. There's a lot Definitely. of improv that, that is done on those commentary tracks, and that's yes. uh, there's a lot of comedy gold there, because me and uh, a bunch of other people that work on the uh, film, we're all improv comedians. We do a lot of um, impro- improvised shows, like Murder Mysteries, throughout Buffalo. Yes. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm doing one at the, the Barrel Factory, actually, uh, tomorrow. It's kind of a weekly venture. I was doing a disco murder mystery every week for about three months, and it was a double-decker bus tour with uh, about 85 people on each run. Oh, I, yeah, it's, it's as much fun to do as it is to be a person that's actually viewing this. We sold out 90% of our shows. It was, it was just a blast to do because I played a drug dealer. And playing a disco drug dealer is oh, it's an absolute blast. You know, I, I would I would have candy in my bag and I'd say, hey, you want the heavy stuff? Hey, man, you want that? You want, you want to get laid out? I got the original, the OG. And I pull out the Werther's original and I hand them off like a drug. Oh. Yeah. The, the yeah, funny part, too. And all that. I actually got um, searched once by a cop. You know, because <laughs> we're going to bar that to bar doing real well at that. That isn't means I'm doing really well. I'm surprised that he thought that I was actually dealing drugs. I just <laughs> so ridiculously. 
they pat him down. It's like it's just pixie sticks again. The worst thing I had on me was was Afrin nose spray. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got me for my Afrin. It's a happy drug. And also, um, last year during the production, we had to wrap Mark early so he can go work a lot of these murder mystery shows that he was doing the bus tours on. So we would wrap him in West Falls, and then he'd be on like a 30-minute drive back up to Buffalo so he could do a shift. Yeah. I love doing it. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of lot of fun. Oh, yeah. we um, A lot of us were shooting other productions during the full filming of Monster Movie. That um, like I helped out with five other productions during the whole year I was in with pre-production and actually filming for Monster Movie. That's how I um, I met Kristen was I was selling my old camera and because she was getting ready to shoot her short film Murder Creek. And she bought my my old one and then we just chatted back and forth and she goes, well, she needs a DP for her short film. And she ended up offering me the job and she uh, she gave me the heads up that it was going to be in the middle of the shooting schedule for Monster Movie. And we just moved two days around and made it work. And we just, it was so great because half of that crew moved over to our crew and stuff then after. But it just turned out perfect. Yeah. So what were some of the things, um, What because Ty, Tyler mentioned he likes horror movies, he likes the right horror movies and horror comedy. What, what what kind of movies are you interested in, Mark? I am actually right there with Ty. There's a lot of um, hokey horror films that I really, really enjoy watching. Uh, I also have kind of a penchant for sci-fi, to be honest. You know, it's like the, the storytelling, how there's the suspension of disbelief about you know superpowers and stuff like that so those are very interesting did you do you uh, work on films besides as an actor i have before um i did director photography for some short films and some 48-hour film festivals and of course when you're doing smaller films you're always kind of stretching for crew work so you know running sound every now and again unfortunately sometimes but you know you got to pitch in when you're there but um i also with ty i have actually done a great deal of assistant directing there you know getting everybody to the spot getting them on schedule and telling them to shut up and film when yes. it's sticking around <laughs> that was basically my job so yeah mark was the associate producer on not another monster movie and he also let me borrow um, two of his Canon lenses that we used to shoot the film. I had a 35 millimeter and I keep forgetting the other one that we shot the rest of the film on, but he definitely helped out with the lens and making it physically look the way it did. Yeah. So who, who did the monster itself for uh, not another monster movie? Oh, which one? <laughs> well, the mask and the, and the glove. Oh, the, the werewolf was originally from, Zag on studios that I, it was about $300 and I received it in the mail. I'm like, okay, I'm going to add a lot to this thing. And they, they designed the gloves as well. And I went over with another layer of sheet latex, did more coloring, added more hair and a scar design that oddly didn't even show up in the film. But I'm like, all right, it's, it's at least there that people on the, the crew know it's there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but other than that, we just completely redid the coloring and stuff. But they did the original headpiece and the hands. What, what were some of the horror movies that made you become a horror movie fan? Good question. I used to be absolutely terrified of zombie films. 
And I remember like being a little kid. I used to live in Texas when I was like, I think I was eight or nine years old when Resident Evil came out. And it scared the crap out of me. Originally, in the, the first draft of the script and not another monster movie was there was a lot of zombies. And they were going to be all like kind of like the army of the undead for like the witch and the werewolf and everything like that. But we actually cut it down to only two zombies in the whole film and stuff just because we wanted to focus on more of the werewolf and the vampires being these big iconic characters. But it's, it's like I said, the Resident Evil. And then I was probably 10 years old, 10 or 11, when I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that gave me nightmares. <laughs> yeah. I think it was the one with Jessica Biel in it, that version. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, that that was scary as a kid to watch. But other than that, I slowly just like stopped being whiny about it <laughs> and started really enjoying them. <laughs> uh, how about yourself, Mark? What are some of your favorite horror movies? Uh, I'm gonna say Ash and the Evil Dead. Does yes. that count, or is that like yeah, a, sure. that does sure, count? But, yeah, it definitely counts. Oh, that yeah, was an know, inspiration have- for monster movie as well. <laughs> I mean, the I'm I'm a big fan of the old school creature flicks. Like you know, we got Dracula and you know, uh, Swamp Thing. We got yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said about old school film that really kind of catches up with my heart. You know, uh, of course, Gene Wilder's uh, his his version of Frankenstein, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 an incredible masterpiece of cinema, oh, but. Yeah, as it goes, I'm into a lot of the older stuff. So where can people follow Not Another Monster Movie to see where you know where it's going to be oh, next? Yeah. We have a Facebook page up at Not Another Monster Movie. Same thing with Instagram. Um, I haven't made a Twitter for the film yet. We do have it on IMDb. Uh, the trailers are, are on it for Facebook and YouTube. And then we'll just keep everyone posted for any more screening announcements, um, festival runs, theatrical releases, things like that. Yeah. I'll put the trailer up on the website. Oh, thank you. Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And how about you guys uh, each individually? Where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Facebook or my website, markbogamol.com. And uh, I know that's a hard one to spell, and I won't spell it again. Because I did before the show. During, I, I have an, I have embarrassing ways to spell my name everywhere because it is so hard to spell. But uh, yeah, catch on my website. It's just my name.com and facebook.com slash spasticjoy. Or if you want to do my Instagram, I swear I'm getting into the social media thing. And it turns out <laughs> I am like a, a solid B minus at it. But my Instagram tag is Mark Bogey, B-O-G-E-E. And then don't follow me. Just follow Mark. <laughs> Mark's in about 80% of the films I do and work on. It's He'll post the cool things behind the scenes and stuff like that. Usually, like you can find me at Ty Chaman on Instagram, but that's mainly my personal account. I reached over 10,000 posts since I've had this account since like 2011. So it goes all the way back to my early days in film, like working with Peter Kent and everything like that from Terminator. And stuff like that. But either that or I'm on Twitter at Ty Chayman or obviously Facebook. It's easy to find me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys coming on. 
I hope awesome. people check out the movie. You know, if they're in Buffalo, go see it. Or uh, when it's in Philly. Or if you can't get any of those, when it comes out on Blu-ray, get yourself a copy. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having us on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk again sometime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Certainly hope it sounds so. Sounds like you guys are busy enough that like we could probably have you on in a month and you'll have oh, three yeah, new no. things going on. <laughs> we're um we're working I'm, I'm on oh, <laughs> Yeah, Mark's doing <laughs> two more shorts this year. I'm working on three projects. I'm working I've actually been on set for five different things this month. So wow. yeah, no, I've my I've really kicked it into high gear. So I've yeah, definitely. Yep. <laughs> But the alien is actually coming in the mail tomorrow that me and Mark finally get to start playing with for Little Green People. So we're going to be showing a lot of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So definitely check us out on the social media links. And if you're scared of puppets, definitely check out our Little Green People because that's going to scare the crap out of you. It is a green little puppet, and it is awesome. (laughs) Very good. Well, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Good night. Good night as well. This is Barbara Magnolfi of Suspiria, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Peter Strickland, writer and director of In Fabric. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. So where did the idea for a haunted dress movie come from? Um, A lot of it just came from going to... um, thrift stores really um just you're aware of um the fact that a lot of the clothing you're you're buying um it's from dead people um you're never never going to know what they look like you're never going to know what they went through in life what they did when they were wearing these trousers and so on um you start imagining yeah your, your imagination runs wild um so really kind of gave it the structure of clothing and its passage from person to person. Uh, and there is this kind of natural haunting to clothing. And, and I, I guess just exploring very visceral reactions to, to clothing, whether it's fetishism, body dysmorphia, um, but also 
euphoric reactions, how you can feel great when you put something on, how you can transform yourself, how you can escape all your problems in life. So, yeah, really, it kind of came from that. And we yeah. still wanted to make a genre film, really. It's interesting you said that, because uh, I, I go to thrift stores. I never uh, thought about that, but now I'm kind of creeped out. But uh, my friend of mine actually thought her chair was haunted that she bought at a uh, at a yard sale. Oh wow, that would be a great film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess there's a whole tradition of haunted objects in cinema, so it's endless possibilities. You know, you could make a film about haunted socks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you cast a role for Sheila, because you need someone that's really like. Uh, realistic to really contrast with everything that's very strange going on. Uh, was that a hard role to, uh, to to find the perfect person for? Not really. Uh, I, I kind of, when I wrote the part, I didn't know who I was looking for. I only knew it had to be a woman in her fifties and British. Um, you know, I, I guess there are a number of people. You know, he kind of came to mind. Um, but I was speaking to Toby Jones, who acted in my second film, and he suggested Marianne, Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Um, and the more I thought about it, it, it made complete sense. Um, I mean, really, just that she's, she's just a really solid actor. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it just—I it, I can't imagine the film with anyone else. I mean, she's absolutely wonderful. She really. Um, you know, I think mean, it's a danger with this kind of film of judging the characters and turning them into kind of devices to, you know, to kind of enhance the plot or enhance any kind of perceived message, even though, even though there isn't one. And I think she, she completely um, absolves the film of that. You know, she's, she's, she's a human being. Um, she has her flaws, of course. Um, but, you know, when I, when I when I was putting the film together, she was someone I, I, I cared about. Um, a lot, and I was very sad to see her go. Um, um, you just said there about, you know, there isn't a perceived message in the movie. Is it interesting for you then to watch it with people and uh, for audiences to come up with what they think the movie means? Yeah, well, I, I guess that, 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 that's the nature of making films. I mean, I understand that it, it can be perceived as, a, as an anti-consumerist film. Um, yeah, I, I would say it's it's playfully satirizing consumerism, but not not with the main characters. It's it's very much in, in, in the the background, you know, with with the looting at the end and the, the cues, the adverts. But you know, I, I wouldn't regard the main victims as consumerists. Um I think being going through all this frustration with your bosses at work, frustrations with your son's girlfriend, being lonely, have your husband's left you why wouldn't you go out and buy something like that? <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, I'm not judging her for that at all. I think, so, you know, I, I, I don't see the dress as an um, avenging angel. I see it as this bastard, random, irrational, nightmarish force. And, you know, the, the film, I mean, I, I see the film as a, as a retail nightmare. You know, if you've worked in a shop for too long, it's the kind of dream you'd have. Um... You know, I think nightmares don't have any message. It's just yeah. something. You know, I mean, you know, nightmares have a message, but but they do tap into your anxieties. They tap into your desires, and that's what's in, interesting 
about nightmares, you know, but they're still relevant to how we perceive ourselves, how we, you know, our hopes and fears and all this kind of thing. So really, I think that's, that's what I was focusing on. Actually, when I wrote in uh, some notes here, I wrote about dreamlike quality movie and also nightmare because uh, it's like the main characters can't escape what's going on. Like if you are in a nightmare, no matter what you try to do, like this is still happening to you. You can't like get out of it. Like you're doomed in a way. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also really like the dialogue because a lot of it is um, to me, like if I overhear people talking and it's like really mundane and it's like, man, I w- I'm glad I don't talk to people like that. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, just writing the dialogue. <laughs> uh, what was that experience like? Because I, I personally love it and find it very funny. I, well, I, I, I love writing in general. I mean, that, that, that is my, my, my favorite part of making a film. Um, obviously, with this film, there are many different pitches with the dialogue. I mean, I think when you... When I spoke with the actors, you know, you were going on different scales, and, you know, different spaces had, had different numbers, you know, like one would be close to a social realist setting, so the dialogue had, had to match that, then you go up the scale to number eight, where it'd be kind of close to absurdist, uh, the, 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 the dialogue would match that, but still it had to be relevant to real life, so in the store, of course, it's... Um, Dialogue is, is 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 a little bit eccentric, but um, it's it's, it's only an, an exaggeration of British euphemisms, British corporate speak. Um, I remember going to the job centre mean, years ago, but before I before I made films, and um, it was a night shift job in, in a warehouse stacking shelves. But the the, the job title was um, Twilight Replenishment Operative. So it's just, it's really taking that really bizarre euphemistic language and just stretching it as far as I can but without snapping the elastic of that. So it still feels relatable to anyone who's worked in retail, anyone who's worked in, in you know, in even in white-collar jobs. I think you, um, it's quite familiar, uh, even though it is exaggerated. Just like... Uh like the overimportance of handshakes and uh, how often you, you it, how long it takes you to take go to the toilet and things like that's very it's very funny to me to to hear someone you go on and on about it in the movie. It's very real as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I really don't want to sort of give, I don't want to give away too much about what sure, sure. it is. Well, I like the contrast. In there, that, if I say they're real, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, I mean the. Um, so yeah, sorry. no, it's okay. I was gonna say uh, I know you've worked with uh, Fatma several times on your other films. So did you write this role specifically with her in mind? Yes, I mean I, she was the only person I, I wrote for. So everyone else, I didn't know who would, who would play which part. Um, Fatma, absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. That that was only for her. So did she like? Per- because her dialogue is so bizarre and just the way she acts, and it's great in the movie because it's a nice contrast with stuff that's like kind of realistic. Um, did you like? Did she perform it like how you envisioned? Did you like? Oh, I know she's going to act this way, or did she, you know, come up with just the style of the character on her own? Well, I kind of wrote it with her voice in mind, and you know, I I, I know Fatma quite well. Um, so I kind of knew, I kind of guessed how she would play it. 
Um, so to be honest, I, there wasn't much direction. I think she had the dialogue. I mean, I mean she, she struggled a bit with it. As an actor, she, she likes to find meaning in it. And there is meaning. It just takes some time to kind of unpeel that, that meaning. It wasn't time to do that because um, I was very busy. She was busy. I mean, she, she her day job is in Transylvania. She, she does a lot of theatre there. So she was flown back and forth three times um, during filming. So she was exhausted. Um, so really, I mean, she takes a huge amount of credit because she just kind of dived, in, dived in, into that dialogue. Um, but really, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I think the advantage was I know her, I know, I know her, the rhythm of her voice, and I think I, I could kind of guess how it was going to work out with her. Had it been someone else, that would have been, you know, that would have taken, you know, a, a very different relationship. Um, it was a weird one because, you know, she's Romanian. Well, technically she's half Sudanese, half um, Hungarian, but she she grew up as a Romanian. She was, she was born in Romania, Romanian in some other time. But, you, know, you know, we're having this Brexit crisis in the UK now, and it's been a lot of, lot of conversation about Eastern European workers and... Oh my God! I don't. I don't want to get involved in this. Um, but at the same time, you know, she's someone I always work with, and I, I just, I, you know, we had great conversations about this, and I just think it's kind of to always play. She always played good characters, and I thought, come on, it's time you played someone really unpleasant. Um, which she, of course, as an actor, she 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 kind of relished it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had one person sort of accusing me of demonizing East East Europeans, which I kind of understand if you haven't seen the other films I've done with that one. Um, but, you know, it's a tricky one. Um, I try to kind of take away any reference to Eastern Europe by her name. I mean, she has a, a, a British name. So all you have is, is, is the accents. Um, yeah, complicated, very complicated. You know, I, I kind of, I felt without intending to. I, I made a Brexit film kind of against my will. Um, or certainly it's something that could be perceived as a Brexit film. <laughs> right, right. Uh, anytime Richard Bremer is on screen, he has like this great presence and uh, puts a big smile on my face. What was it like to direct him? Because all his mannerisms in, in this movie is like really over the top. Is, would he ever be like, are you sure you want me to you play, play, play it this way? Well, no, I think that, that was always the pitch of, of, of the store, and I think Fatma, she kind of led the way with that. Um, so it was very much, she would be, how would I say it? Um, I think she propped the whole thing up. Um, well, Richard was wonderful, I mean, really. Um, yeah, he's great. And, you know, I think some of the things we asked him to do were quite, I think, <laughs> as an actor, he got quite exposed. Um so he was very brave in, in that sense, but I, 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 I loved working with him. He, he, was, he was just great. I mean, his presence is so magnetic and sinister. It's sinister. I mean, it's, it's what I love about the character. She's sinister, but you also, you also love her at the same time. And I really want to create a bad character that you can't stop watching. Um, you know, I, I used to love that when I was a kid, you know, I think about the Wicked Witch of the West. You kind of loved her as much as you hated her. Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot about so the movie in like general. With, 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 with yeah, I like that about the movie in general. There's a lot of contrast and things where it's like, 
Uh, it's both serious, but there's a lot of dry comedy. There's stuff that's like reality based, but then it's also very you know fantastical. And uh, I think the that really works in the movie for me. Thank you. I mean, yeah, because I kind of see it. I mean, again, it's obviously a lot of it is based on real life and human emotions, but at the same time, I always had it in my mind. I, I, I love those Euro films, you know, Daughter of the Darkness and some of the Franco films and so on. I think there was always this element of having this fantastical element to it. Um, but also, I think because I, 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 how I remember the comics as a kid, they were very flamboyant places. Uh, very steeped in artifice. Um, and I always love that in films. You know, I think of Palin Pressburger, many other directors, but um, just something about artifice in film. Very strong lighting, very saturated colors, um, something quite fake, but at the same time, there's something quite human that comes out of that somehow. I know you're a busy, man. So one last question: uh, Was it hard to find the right red dress? Did you find a dress, or did you have this like designed? Well, it was designed. Is um, Joe Thompson uh, with Kesha Koinoska. Uh I mean, I, 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 I can't. I've never clue how how to design any. <laughs> I, I couldn't even. I couldn't even design socks. You know. Right. So really, I think it's just more describing the images in my head, you know, such as the dress floating through the air. I wanted it to feel like like like, like a jellyfish. So Joe would say, well, you need chiffon and silk for that. Um, to describe the kind of store I remember as a kid, which was like a very middle class, but middle class aspirational and something that aspired to be high fashion, but it was always slightly off. It could never really be high fashion. It, just, it was not Bond Street. It was something that kind of passed itself off as something that, as, as something that it wasn't. Um, so, I mean, gradually, you know, they came up with designs and I would look at them. And, but, yeah, I mean, they take full credit, really. Um, it's 100% their work. Well, I loved In Fabric, and not just because you're here. It was really my kind of movie. And it uh, comes at, it's going to be in the theaters December 6th. Thank you. Very welcome. And it made me want to go check out your other movies, which some of my film friends have yelled at me that I have not seen yet. But I'm going to check out uh, the rest of your films because I really love Tin Fabric. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, thanks, yeah thanks for helping the film. It needs it. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Have a good day. Thank you. Yep. Thank you both. Bye. You too. Cheerio. Bye.